Good morning. I'm so very excited to be with you this morning as we celebrate these nine young people sitting on this front row as they come forward to say that they want to follow Jesus. There's no more important decision that you will ever make. And so today is a day that we celebrate. And we are glad to be here this morning. Our reading this morning is going to come from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I want to share a story with you this morning of a man who was a professing atheist for many years. His name is Lee Strobel. Many of you may know him as the author of The Case for Christ. They made a movie about the story a few years back. And Lee tells the story of his own confirmation. He says that he was given all of the right answers that he needed to get through the process. And he went along with the process because... What would it hurt if God wasn't real? If he got on stage and said a few words and he avoided making his parents upset. He describes it like this. But confirmation had its advantages. I figured that my confirmation ceremony was actually my graduation ceremony. I had graduated from the church. Now I was on my own. My parents stopped dragging me to church on Sundays, and I was happy to sleep late. I had done the religion drill. So most of us would not agree with that on the outside. We would say these are very young people here before us. They have a lot of growing left to do. They're certainly not done. But trends actually show us that many students disengage after the confirmation process. And this is very interesting to me because it makes me wonder if we perhaps have made confirmation just another check 
off the list of religion. But there's something about God. He doesn't do checklists. Rarely is anything in Scripture or dealing with God finished. Apart from the work that he did on the cross, now that is finished. The grave is defeated. Sin has been overcome. And nothing will change that. That is done. But he doesn't work in your life, mark it off of a checkbox, and then move on from you. That's not how God works. Throughout Scripture, we see God is up to something new. In Isaiah chapter 43, the Lord tells him, Behold, I am doing something new. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 3 when he's talking with Nicodemus. And he says, You must be born again. And Paul talks about it in Ephesians and Colossians where he talks about taking off the new, taking off the old, and putting on the new. Throughout the span of Scripture... God is up to new things. So that's why I felt that this passage was so appropriate for today. For these guys today, for you, many of you, this is a day for a new beginning. Not to discredit the work that has happened in their life up until this point. But this is not a finish mark. This is not a check off the list. This is... A step of them saying, I want to follow Jesus for myself. And then there is a journey that extends from that, after that. And so as I was studying this passage, it was very clear to me that it was giving us some identity. Talks about who we are in Christ once we begin to follow him. So I want to take a minute And talk through that with you this morning. And the adults in the room, I don't want you to tune out. Because I believe that this is a message that can speak to all of us today. It has completely wrecked me these past few weeks studying this passage. In verse 17, it gives us our first bit of identity. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... If anyone is in Christ, being in Christ means that you are his. You belong to him. You were bought at a price, and nothing and no one can ever separate you from his love. Nothing and no one at all. And Jesus gives us a picture of this in his teaching. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus teaches saying that I am the vine... And you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He gives that idea of remaining in him. And Paul says in this passage we're looking at today, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, to me it gives this picture of reliance or dependence upon God. If we are in him, as Jesus says, we can bear much fruit. And if we are apart from him, we can do nothing. It also gives this idea of abiding or staying with God. 
we stay with him, we will bear much fruit. We shouldn't chase after the things to the right or the left that are shiny and look a little bit better. We should remain in Christ. Secondly, right after this in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now, what this passage doesn't say is that they put a Band-Aid over it, put a pretty dress and a bow on your head to make something old look a little better. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a new creation from the inside out being made completely new in God and in Christ. In this passage specifically, when he is talking about a new creation, he is talking about being reconciled. You heard that word when I was reading this passage. It says it four or five times in this passage. I don't love church words, and I think reconciliation is a big word that a lot of us are like, we don't even know what that means, but sure, it sounds nice. Um, so I want to take just a second to kind of talk about what does that mean. Mark Hopper says it this way, the basic meaning of the word to reconcile is to make otherwise or to alter. Interestingly, the word is used in the New Testament only by Paul. He uses it to describe the relationship between God and humans. The verb to reconcile is used only of God's acts. We ourselves are the ones who become reconciled to God. God is the initiator and the author of reconciliation. He is the remover of that which separates us from God. So in short, to be reconciled is to be made right with God. To be put in right standing with him. And here we see in this description that God is the one who does the reconciling. It is nothing that we can do by our own strength or our own power. We can try and try and try. But he is the author and the initiator of reconciliation. And it tells us here... If we are reconciled, we are a new creation. If we have been made right with God, we are a new creation. Meaning, in verse 19, he says that God no longer counts our trespasses against us. He no longer counts your sins against you. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. If you are a new creation, when he looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus, and he is pleased with you. He is pleased with you. He thinks you're beautiful and loved and chosen. And as a new creation, we have a new perspective. Verse 7, a little earlier in this chapter, tells us that we are to live by faith and not by sight. Verse 15 says that if you are a new creation, you are no longer to live for yourself. But for him who died and was raised. And my question is, how do we live, no longer live for ourselves? 
in a world that screams at us that this world and our lives are all about us. How do we do it? Everything around us tells us it's about us. And it's very clear throughout Scripture that our life is not about us. In verse 14, I think gives us a good hint at the answer to that question. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Controls us. It dictates our actions. It governs our lives. It changes the way that we will respond to something or react to something. Other translations use the word compel there. For the love of Christ compels us. I love that word too, because that implies that we have some movement going on with that love. It moves us towards something. And if we look at the Gospels, we know what Jesus' love moves us towards. Jesus' love always moves him towards loving other people. And it should do the same in us. The love of Christ controls us. And that is the only hope we have of being able to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him who died and was raised. And so, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And Paul gives us a very clear directive of what we are supposed to do after we have become a new creation. He tells us that we are to be ministers of reconciliation. Confirmands. Somebody tell me, what is on your stole that you wrote? It's, it says M-I-R. Does anybody remember what that means? Minister in residence. Somebody tell me what that means. So it's like a minister in training, right? We talked about that. Yes. So minister in residence. They have written on the stoles that they have made for today. Minister in training. So guys, when we talked about it, we said, does that mean that each of you are going to be pastors and preachers and go into the ministry? No, right? That's not what that means. But what that does mean is that regardless of what you find yourself doing in your life, we are all to be ministers, regardless of our occupation, regardless of what you end up doing in your life. I thought this was super appropriate today as I was reading this passage and studying. I remembered what they had written on their stoles because they wrote M-I-R. And my message today is about being a minister of reconciliation. A minister in reconciliation, we might could say. So Paul gives us a very specific task here. He says, once you have become a new creation, once you have been reconciled to God and you have been made right with him, you are to go and share that message with the world. You are to go and you are to share And we see that we are not reconciled just for the sake of being reconciled. We are reconciled with a purpose and a mission. And Paul tells us how we should share this minister ministry of reconciliation. He tells us in verse 18 that we are ambassadors 
of Christ. We are Christ ambassadors. Ambassador in the very definition of the word means that we are called out. Ambassadors don't stay in their own countries. Now, I'm not saying that we should all leave this country. (laughs) Because I might would argue that our country is one of the most spiritually dead or deprived in all of the world. In our country, intellect and religion come head to head. And it's shocking how often religion is losing. So there's much work to be done here where we are. William Barclay says it like this. An ambassador's life is spent among people who usually speak a different language, who have a different tradition and a different way of life. The Christian is always like that. He lives in the world, but he takes part in all the life and work of the, of the world. But he is a citizen of heaven. To that extent, he is a stranger on earth. The man who is not willing to be different cannot be a Christian at all. So this call to be an ambassador is a call to be different. When I was thinking about this, I began to think about how being different used to not be cool. But now in our society, it's almost as if we idolize being different. Individualism has become an idol. Self-expression is so important to us. This is not the kind of different that Paul is talking about here. You're not being different just for the sake of being different. You are being different here in this passage as an ambassador of Christ for the sake of Christ. You're controlled by his love, and his love looks very different than the love of the world. And the way that Christ was different was not a popular way or a pretty way. His kind of different was so hated that he was killed for it. So our difference should be for his sake. And our confidence should come from him, from being in him and being a new creation. Difference is not the point. Christ is the point. So I want to close just the way this passage closes today. In verse 21, it's one of, to me, one of the most beautiful lines in Scripture. Holds such truth and power over our lives. And so I want you to hear it this morning. For our sake, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. He was perfect. He was absolutely perfect. And he became sin because of all of our sin. So that in him, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That we would stand before him without spot or blemish. That we can have confidence before him. What I want you guys to know today is that this decision that you are making 
is one that nobody can ever take from you. It is the most important thing. I can't even look at them. I'm going to cry. I'm so proud of each of them. And for all of us who claim to be new creations in Christ, it is who we are, and no one can take it from us. Some of you in here today, you've been following Jesus a long time. Maybe you need to feel that breath of new creation in your life. And I think this message is extending that to us today. So the favorite part of the service is coming up, where these young people will come up and say, I, I'm following Jesus. I'm choosing for myself. I want to follow him. And I believe that we, as their congregation, will love and support them on this journey. And I, for one, cannot wait to walk it with each of you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your work of reconciliation. We are grateful that you allow us to be in you. We have no hope without you, Jesus. That you have made us new from the inside out. That you have given us a purpose and a mission to be your ministers, the ministers of your good news. And examples of you to the world. Pray that you would give us the grace to do it. It seems daunting and overwhelming, but we know that we can do it by your power and your strength. I pray for these young people who are going to come forward now to profess you as their Savior. I thank you and we celebrate that. Father, I believe that there is a party going on in the heavenly host right now over these nine young people that are coming to say that they want to follow you. And we praise you, Lord, for that in this space. Lord, we love you and it's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.